I'm Paul DeGarabedian, Senior Media Analyst for Comscore with my latest episode of Many Screens Big Picture podcast. Returning is Brandon Katz. Brandon is an incredible journalist and writer for Observer. And we've had a lot of great discussions over the years about movies, about specific movies, about movies in general. But for today's episode, we're talking about the legendary Snyder Cut. And Brandon Katz, welcome. Let's give our audience a little background. What is the Snyder Cut? What movie does it derive from? Because this is really interesting. This one of most fabled stories in film, and I'm going to leave it up to you to set the stage. Well, thank you for that very kind introduction, first of all, Paul. And I wish this podcast had started sooner because we have about four years of phone calls where 10 minutes of it was spent on whatever article I was working on, and the next 20 was about entertainment. And all of that would have made for great podcast content. I'm glad we can finally bring it to the screen now. I like it. What is the Snyder Cut? It is... Zack Snyder's version of Justice League. Now, as many plugged-in entertainment fans remember, Zack Snyder left the production of Justice League relatively midway through, back before its 27th theatrical release. Joss Whedon was brought on to complete the project. And ultimately, their two conflicting, opposing visions wound up as a final product that really nobody was a big fan of. It was a critical and commercial disappointment as released as it was in 2017. Since then, of course, the hashtag release the Snyder Cut campaign has popped up online. That has been uh, a legion of Zack Snyder fans who have been basically arguing Warner Brothers to let Zack Snyder complete his vision and deliver the final product he originally intended to make before leaving the production. That has ultimately, after years, wound up as the Snyder Cut coming to HBO Max on March 18th, and its final version will be a four-hour feature film. So we are in store for a very large final superhero product that will be kind of Uh, I guess a remix of maybe what we saw in theaters. I like that you call it a remix because that really is what it will be or what it is in that form. And just to kind of go back a little bit, the original Justice League movie, the theatrical cut, the theatrical release was released in mid-November of 2017. You know, that movie opened to $93.8 million in North America, went on to earn $656 656 worldwide. So this is no box office flop, but I don't think this has to do so much with the box office, which actually by any other measure for any other movie, this would be a home run, but about the emotional response from fans to the movie. Yeah, absolutely. I, I believe though, commercially speaking, the reports after the film's release said that it, Warner Brothers lost up to $100 million on it, but that was also because Production had to shift directions. There was a lot of expensive reshoots. So the budget on that clearly ballooned to a point where it was going to be tough to make a profit no matter what. Right. And like you mentioned, there was an emotional response. This is the first ever team up of the DC heroes that really define 20th century comic book success long before Marvel. You know, they've got several decades on Marvel in terms of their uh, mainstream prevalence in comic books. And the final product was this ho-hum, vanilla, hodgepodge of different viewpoints and visions that really pleased nobody. And it 
was so far of a left turn from what we had come to expect tonally and stylistically from the DC extended universe that it alienated those fans who supported Snyder's original vision while also failing to attract new fans who might just be interested because it's a mega budget superhero team up. And unfortunately it wasn't able to satisfy any fan group at all. And I think it's not exactly sacrilegious to say that justice league is probably the worst movie or second worst movie put out in the DCEU era. And that's really interesting too, because if you, if you look at it, this is not a movie that could have literally flown under the radar (laughs) because it was such a high profile project. When you bring together these incredible iconic superheroes, all eyes are on this movie and expectations were incredibly high. Can you talk a little bit about this, Brandon, in terms of Zack Snyder's feeling on the matter? I mean, I think we've, it's become bigger than him. It's the Snyder cut, but ownership of this seems to be with the fans who are so really just immersed in the Snyder cut. In fact, it's become almost a unicorn, but first let's talk about Zack Snyder's, what you know of what he feels about the Snyder cut. Yeah, I mean, Zack Snyder's gone on record as to saying he would have not made the same decisions as Joss Whedon made in terms of the theatrical Justice League cut. That's not surprising. Uh, Now, the Snyder cut itself is mostly, the majority, just fans who like Zack Snyder's movies and wanted to see his completed vision. However, there is an undercurrent, a very small but vocal minority of Snyder cut fans who have really become infamous for their hostility and toxicity online and in social media directed at anyone who has criticized Snyder's movies or isn't behind the idea of releasing a new version of this movie. So that has kind of given the Snyder Cut a bad name, unfairly so, because again, for the most part, they're just average movie fans who are like, you know what, I like Zack Snyder's take and I would like to see it to completion. So it's unfortunate that it's been co-opted a little bit by a few bad apples that are promoting harassment, which isn't good. But Zack Snyder himself has been very thankful to the fans because without their consistent pressure, their consistent conversation over the last four years, this likely would have never happened. He would have never been able to finish out his run in the DCEU with what he intended his vision to be. And love or hate the idea you know, love or hate the campaign, love or hate comic book movies in general, it is interesting and perhaps setting both a good and bad precedent that after such a high-profile, visible failure that was the Theatrical Justice League, fan opinions and fan pressure have led a studio, a multi-billion dollar studio, to change course and allow an original director to return to complete their journey. That's very interesting. Are there any fans in all of film as passionate as superhero comic book fans? I would say that fandom and the Star Wars fandom have a high bar of acceptance and what they will or will not support. And that can be a good thing in many instances. And in many instances, it can be a bad thing. I I would advise anyone out there who is passionate about entertainment to just always remain civil and respectful on their social media discourse while never abandoning their own opinions. You know, you are not wrong for having an opinion and being passionate about what you like. Absolutely. And and the passion when used in a positive manner is awesome. And the fact that you can affect change 
towards a monolithic company or entity is quite astounding and, and unique to the social media era. I think it, Maybe back in the day, you'd be out in front of the studio, you know. What do we want? Justice League. When do we want it? Now. Um, <laughs> like, really. But people get really angry and hostile about these things. I mean, come on. These are movies. We can all agree. We all are passionate, love movies. Let's channel that into positivity and not to be too Pollyanna about it. But certainly, we just love movies, and that's awesome. So shifting gears a little bit in terms of the article, let's talk about the article you wrote uh, for Observer. I know this got a lot of traction. I think it was dated uh, January 27. So the headline of your article is great. Is the Snyder Cut a miniseries or a movie? Question mark. It doesn't much matter. Let's talk about that. Why doesn't it matter, Brandon? Well, that's an excellent question, Paul. And it doesn't much matter because ultimately... What HBO Max wants is buzzy content that moves the social media needle and engages existing subscribers who are already on HBO Max probably because they love the DC Comics material. And Justice League accomplishes that. Now, it was a little bit surprising that Zack Snyder said that Justice League is no longer a four-part miniseries as originally reported, and now it is a four-hour movie, just a one-shot big film. And the reason why is because enough studies and third-party metrics and data have proven that the weekly release is better for sustained engagement and viewership long-term than Netflix's binge model. It's why Disney Plus puts out The Mandalorian once a week. It's why uh, Amazon Prime Video changed up their strategies for season two of The Boys. It is better long-term. But as many smart people pointed out to me, the average fan, even if it was a four-part miniseries, was going to sign up for one month of HBO Max and then presumably cancel if they didn't find anything else they, they wanted. So whether or not it is one movie or four weeks, it was going to be the same actual economic sign-up period for HBO Max. And at the end of the day, streaming, as you so eloquently said in this article, there is no restrictions in terms of time or bandwidth. So your average fan can say, huh, four-hour movie, well, I'm not going to watch it in one sitting, but I'll watch it two, three times in terms of uh, spreading out the whole runtime. So at the end of the day, regardless of how they deliver it, they're probably going to get a similar staggered viewership for it from the average fan who's not a diehard comic book guy or, or girl. So at the end of the day, it doesn't matter because the economics of how we watch it and how people are accessing HBO Max to watch it aren't going to change that much. What is going to change is that this is a buzzy piece of content that people who know about the Snyder Cut campaign are going to finally feel validated for finally receiving and probably very interested in watching. So I would not be surprised if existing subscribers punched up the levels of engagement, the hours of viewership in the month of March after the Snyder Cut arrives. And the the resume button. Oh yeah, that, <laughs> that's going to be helpful cuz listen, I'm I'm, you know, one of the biggest nerds around. I don't think I can sit for a 4-hour movie in one fell swoop. I think I'm probably going to have to break it up, maybe have some lunch go back to work, have some dinner, something like that. <laughs> yeah, you, you need to break it up a bit. I mean, I remember I've seen three-hour movies in theater, you know, years ago that had an intermission. 
which was kind of fun. I think Gandhi, I saw like that. And maybe even 2001, A Space Odyssey. That's kind of cool. But at home, you can have an intermission every five minutes. I think I said something in the article, which now I don't know if I was too spot on on this, about that doing it as a movie would allow for a theatrical release down the road. But again, at four hours, I'm kind of taking that back a little bit. I don't know how you do that unless you did. I think you might be right. Well, maybe. Or you could do a theatrical cut of the Snyder Cut. You could have another cut, the Snyder Cut, for theatrical that's shortened a little bit. I don't know. The sky's kind of the limit at this point. I have heard through the grapevine whispers, and this is by no means a scoop. I have not confirmed this. I have not you know, followed up to the extent of a, a true journalist tracking a story. But I have heard there are some intentions at some point to have some sort of special screening with the Snyder Cut in a theater. So I think you are definitely on the right track in some form. Yeah, well, I appreciate that, Brandon. <laughs> I'd like to be right. <laughs> well, I'm, not, I'm not saying it just to blow smoke. I'm saying it because I think you were on to something that I had heard. I think, too, because we all know the movie theater is going to come back. And that when the movie theater makes its big comeback, I think having a special event like that, it could draw the fans to the theater when it's safe to do so. And when theaters are open to a much greater degree, something like that would serve two purposes or maybe more, but at least one, just people really want to go back to the theater. Two, to really get into that communal experience. And three, a movie like The Starter Cup would really capitalize or intrinsically be great for that communal experience because you'd have the true fans there, especially if it's over three hours or let's say it's the full four hours, hopefully with an intermission. I don't know. (laughs) Um, But that would be really cool to me getting innovative with releases like that, not only on the back end and the editing booth or editing bay, but also how you're going to actually exhibit a movie like this, this could be something to really key off of that maybe we would see more of. I don't know if you and I ran the world, maybe maybe all this stuff would happen all the time. <laughs> you know what is going to be interesting to me, Paul? And I, I'd love to get your take on this. Let's say the Snyder Cut arrives and it just blows people away. Like hardcore fans are like, this is what we've been waiting for. Casual fans are like, wow, I can't believe how good this is. It attracts new subscribers to HBO Max. I wonder if despite the controversy, despite the polarizing critical reactions, and despite the uneven box office numbers, if DC brings Zack Snyder back for additional DC blockbuster programming, and beyond that, if the Snyder Cut reception is through the roof, if Henry Cavill's uncertain future with Superman suddenly clears itself up, and both sides come back to the negotiating table and get a deal done. It seems to me that... That's probably not going to be the case just because rarely, if ever, is there a, you know, monolithic piece of superhero pop culture that everyone agrees on. But I think if there was one piece of content that could unify people moving forward, it would be this mythical Snyder Cut that, as you said, years in the making and has become almost a a unicorn onto itself. And we've looked at this in some of our data at Comscore. There are certain directors who are a draw. And by a draw, when we do an audience survey and we say, why'd you come to see this movie? They say, well, it's a Quentin Tarantino movie. It's a Jordan Peele movie. It's a Wes Anderson movie. Zack Snyder's name is, I mean, it's literally the Snyder cut. In fact, we talked about this offline that it's no longer Justice League. (laughs) It's just the Snyder cut is the name of the movie because the fans so identify 
Zack Snyder with this particular project that his name is a draw. Yet I think if the two things going for this movie, when it finally, you know, the Snyder cut, if it's a, a brilliant film and B generates a lot of interest for HBO max and therefore would then generate a lot of box office. I don't see as a, as a film company and I can't speak for any company that you wouldn't want to have a creative like that on board to do future projects. Cause it's, it's kind of a, in a way, a, a do-over. And look, every filmmaker's had a film that people thought were disappointing. Uh, I don't care who it is. I mean, there might be a couple exceptions, but <laughs> I'm just saying as a general rule, I mean, a lot of actors get second chances. Not that Zack Snyder needs a second chance. I mean it in the sense of with this movie, it could be a chance to get it right, to have the fans be a part of that is very powerful. And if the movies just absolutely kick ass, knocks it out of the park, I would just think that's never a negative. And who knows what the future could hold in terms of that. And for me personally, as a fan, I'm, I'm not a huge fan of Zack Snyder's DCEU work. I think there was perhaps quality left on the table in those films. My expectations for the Snyder Cut maybe aren't to the point where it's going to reunify the DCEU moving forward. But as someone who loves Batman and Superman and Wonder Woman, and as someone who was thoroughly disappointed with the theatrical Justice League, I'm obviously hoping it's the best comic book movie ever. But more importantly, I don't think there's anywhere else to go but up in terms of comparing it to what we saw in theaters, which was such a vanilla waste of time for basically everybody who, who saw it. I think it's only going to be enjoyable in the sense that it was such a bad theatrical movie that this is going to be one singular vision that doesn't feel like a Frankenstein monster of different opinions and meddling. Let's say the intent was, don't worry about the rating. It doesn't have to be PG-13. You can go R. When you say it's a vanilla, that movie kind of had a vanilla point of view or whatever, however you want to say it. Do you think it was because of that or just other concerns that went into the editing process? Or do you think, because sometimes I feel like there are certain movies that would have been best served by being unfettered by a certain rating which constrains you on language, violence, and other aspects of the movie. Do you think that had anything to do with it, or couldn't this be the best movie ever with a PG-13? I don't think necessarily the rating had anything to do with it. I think from a story and character standpoint, from a visual standpoint, they went as middle of the road as humanly possible to kind of swing the other way from Snyder's dark tone and I think that was a mistake because it ultimately makes Justice League, the theatrical cut, distinctive solely for its lack of distinction. It is such a formulaic, by-the-numbers final product, both in how the story unfolds, the generic antagonist and his motivations, its lack of tie-ins to a greater world, which was teased originally by Snyder, and what he wanted to include, which was ties to Darkseid, which is arguably the most famous comics villain of all time. And what we got was such a distilled, sanitized version of that, that I think even as not the biggest Snyder fan in the world, getting his singular point of view, his singular vision, a story to completion in terms of what he wanted to do, just by those mere facts, it's going to be better 
then the middle of the road kind of turd we got. <laughs> Don't hold back, Brandon. Don't yeah. hold back. Listen, I think everyone generally agrees with that at this point. I want to ask you then, how did the Snyder Cut movement get started? Before the theatrical release, we obviously knew Zack Snyder had departed production because they announced it and brought on Joss Whedon. And already right then, the seeds of this campaign were planted as fandom online, you know, through social media apps such as Reddit and and Twitter and Facebook were discussing and talking and connecting to one another about their disappointment that they weren't going to see Snyder's vision through to completion. And that snowballed into the release the Snyder Cut campaign, which sprouted up very quickly after the disappointing theatrical release of Justice League. Everyone saw this final product was not to their liking and they wanted to make their voices and opinions heard. And what ultimately culminated was a very organized campaign that used airplane banner advertising outside of Warner Brothers' office that took out billboards, that spammed Warner Brothers' call boards with phone call campaigns that were kind of the next evolution of the letter campaign writing from back in the day. So they had very many organized events that were meant to put pressure on Warner Brothers to kind of acquiesce to their whims. And every single Warner Brothers tweet or Facebook post or or anything over the last four years, you look at the replies from anything, you know, 2018, 2019, 2020, it's all hashtag release the Snyder Cut, hashtag release the Snyder Cut. So there was a lot of pressure. And I, I think that treads up to the line of perhaps some inappropriate behavior within that. But ultimately, they were fans that wanted to see a completed version. And I can get that. I can understand that. And it's been pretty much four years of pressure since the release of Justice League in 2017 that has now resulted in the Snyder Cut coming to an HBO Max near you. How cool is that, though? Like we talked about earlier on in this conversation, normally a monolith like a studio would not acquiesce to those requests. Correct. Generally, it's like, we, we're not hearing this, <laughs> but that's the beauty. It can also have negative effects like we talked about or negative manifestations. But the fact that a big studio like that would listen and would acknowledge the fans, I think is really smart. You know, you, studios used to pay big money to get people's opinions on things. <laughs> and now you go to Twitter and it's right there. It's like free market research. Some of it is noise. Some of it's inappropriate, but right down the middle lane of that is some really great information, even for filmmakers as well to take heart because look, the fans, especially in the comic book realm are very much in tune with the iconography, the history of these characters and the entire mindset of these really interesting characters. So to have fans that are that enamored with and informed on and really passionate about superheroes and comic book movies in general is really astounding. And that's a very powerful collective of fans. Now spending a minimum of $70 million on a new version of a movie that already failed theatrically That's a little bit of a questionable strategic decision, but providing this much wanted piece of content to your foundational fans, DC's building block fans, to unite them after a polarizing few years, 
I can understand that 100%. And frankly, that makes sense to me. Right, because sometimes the currency of goodwill outweighs the actual monetary currency or the revenue or profitability of a movie. Well said, Paul. You know what? You should talk to journalists more. You know, every once in a while, I do it. I want to talk to you about, and this is in your article again, I'm talking to Brandon Katz, wrote a great article in Observer about the Snyder Cut, Justice League Snyder Cut. And part of what you talk about in here is that on HBO, in the same month of March, when the Snyder Cut is set for release, got another huge Warner Brothers movie, Godzilla versus Kong, is going to be released in the same month. Let's talk a little bit about how the dynamics of the small screen work. You know, ordinarily opening two big movies on the same weekend from the same distributor, like a Warner Brothers or Universal or any, they're not going to do that. Right. Be in competition or cannibalize your own audience in a movie theater on the same weekend. Let's talk about, from your perspective, what's different about a small screen release of two big well, really huge pieces of content in the same month. I don't know if we know if they're going to be on the same day dropped on. I mean, at least they're going to separate them that way. Yeah, the Snyder Cut arrives March 18th, actually one day right before Disney Plus drops the Falcon and the Winter Soldier. So that's a whole different subplot. There you go. And I believe Godzilla vs. Kong arrives March 31st. Now, like you said, under normal circumstances, if these were both theatrical releases, Warner Brothers would want far longer than two weeks before two big budget blockbuster pictures because they would cannibalize one another because there's more effort put into going to see a theatrical film. The barrier of access is significantly greater because you got to hop in your car. You got to drive to the theater. You got to shell out your hard earned money. And then you got to sit somewhere that's not your couch for two and a half hours and go all the way home. And that's even if you don't buy any snacks, which come on, you and I both like our snacks. We need some popcorn. I need some cookie dough bites. I need a Coca-Cola. Let's go. (laughs) So that is a, a much different economic landscape. Now, streaming, and I've talked to you about this. I've talked to several box office analysts. I've talked to several industry insiders about this. It is such a different ballgame on streaming because not only is it prevalent 24-7 in your living room, there are no time constraints, there are no scheduling. You don't have to rush to the theater to make a specific showing. You can throw it on anytime you want. But also because of the fact that you are in complete control of it. No limitations. Exactly. No limitations whatsoever. If somebody wanted to, they could wait two weeks and watch the Snyder Cut and Godzilla vs. Kong back to back if they wanted to, because it's they are in complete control. They are not meeting someone else's schedule. And that is also why streaming has never been seen as a threat to the box office. So we actually spoke in 2019 about Star Wars The Rise of Skywalker and the first season of The Witcher on Netflix both arriving on the same day. That's right. And neither company was worried about cannibalization because of how vastly different the two are. If The Witcher was a movie being released in theaters, completely different scenario. But the fact is they had all weekend to turn their attention to either the film or the uh, streaming service product itself. It, It completely changes the access required for any fan to hop on board. What you said is exactly right. I think the sky didn't fall when Wonder Woman 1984 was released in theaters and on HBO Max the same day at that opening weekend. And just forgetting about the reviews and all that, just in terms of that opening weekend, 
16.7 million. It was the biggest opening for any film during the, you know, within the pandemic, within those months of the pandemic. I'm a theatrical first kind of person, as we all know, but still it did show that there's 24 hours in a day. You have the ability to stay up 24 hours a day if you are so inclined. Like you said, you could watch content all day long, all night. The movie theater is a much bigger buy-in. That's why it shows how important it is that people are still going to the theater when they can, even though they have so much content at home. But I think that is really interesting. Like I said, I don't think it'll hurt one project or the other. I think it actually, to have two pieces of big content on HBO Max, what I think they're looking to do is tip people, you know, that tipping point to get people to subscribe. And then stay in that ecosystem long-term, avoid churn, avoid people being like, okay, I saw my Snyder Cut, now I'm canceling. Well, they're like, hey, in two weeks, Godzilla vs. Kong comes out, I might as well stick around a little bit longer. And then another piece of content comes out that keeps them on the hook on an ongoing cycle. And most people are on auto pay, so they just keep it going <laughs> in. <laughs> and to me, I think it's actually a very interesting blend of projects because as we've discussed here, the Snyder Cut is more so for the diehard DC fans. If you talk to someone who isn't plugged into the entertainment industry like you and I, they have no idea what the Snyder Cut is. They may hear about it once it opens through os cultural osmosis. They may check it out. But this is a relatively niche offering that I think appeals to existing HBO Max subscribers who love the DC universe. Maybe that's the best thing about having platforms like this, because you can have, for me, the analog would be all the extras that are on great Blu-ray or back, you know, many years ago, a big Laserdisc boxed set where you had all that additional content. Well, the unlimited bandwidth of streaming allows for that really curated interesting content that's for the fans. And that's the stuff that keeps me coming back to various platforms. Absolutely. It is like a special surprise just for you if you're a diehard DC fan. And I think that's absolutely a great way to put it. It's added value in that regard. And I think it pairs nicely with a Godzilla vs. Kong, which is a bit more geared towards attracting new subscribers who are like, wow, this is the first blockbuster movie of 2021. I can watch it if I hop on HBO Max. I don't have to risk my health going to a theater. So I think they actually pair nicely as a play towards existing subscribers and people within the DC HBO Max ecosystem and a more broad appeal play that is just, hey, this is a blockbuster kaiju monster movie action. I kind of want to check it out. So I, I think it's a good tandem to release in March together. I think it's great. I mean, look, when it comes down to it for the fans, this is really what we live for. And the fact that we've been talking about it now for over a half hour, that you wrote a brilliant story on this for Observer, that the fans out there are, I mean, March can't get here soon enough. And I'm going to give you the last word, but I want to have you promise that once you see it, you tweet about, just let us all know what you think about the Snyder Cut and don't hold back. I, I know you won't, but I'm going to give you the last word, Brandon. Uh, as we uh, wind up our conversation about the Snyder Cut. Thank you, sir. I guess for my last word, it will be regardless of if the Snyder Cut is an Oscar-winning beauty of an action superhero film or as divisive and polarizing as Zack Snyder's two other DC movies, try to approach the opposing viewpoint on social media with respect. If you don't like the Snyder Cut, if you do like the Snyder Cut, it doesn't matter. Just say your opinion. 
And if you are going to, then at least let us know so we can broadcast it on the podcast for an entertaining pay-per-view bout of opinions. There you go. Well, be constructive, not destructive, I think is the way to be on this. We're all film fans. We can agree. Brandon Katz, just a brilliant journalist, entertainment journalist, writer for Observer. Thank you so much for being here. I can't wait to see the comments and what people think of this podcast today. We really stuck with one really specific uh, topic. And I love it because you're so well-versed in this. Brandon, thank you for being on many screens, big picture today. Thank you so much for having me, Paul. Much appreciated. Mm -hmm.